Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm going to have a wonderful show. Rob Louie is going to be coming on in just a second. Dr. Greg Borgon will be joining me as well. In this hour, we're going to talk about body, mind, and soul. And then hour two, we're going to do Q&A with Jeff Redorn covering our Revelation series. So get your questions ready as I speak. Text line is always open at 877-933-2484. To get things started on Tuesday, I always like to go to my Washington, D.C. correspondent, Rob Louie, who is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, welcome. Hey, Bill. It's good to be with you today. Thanks Th- for having me. Thanks, as always, for being part of the show on this Tuesday. It's a beautiful, sunny day here in the Twin Cities, and I'm uh, thinking about so much of what's going on in our country today and thinking that we have this incredible... Um, time in life where we have to take res- personal responsibility and we have to uh, love our neighbors, love our enemies, and care for everyone in this world as best we can. Well, Bill, if there was ever a time to uh, to think and uh, think about and read and uh, take to heart the words of, of Jesus, I think this is this is certainly the moment to do so. I mean, I think uh, as a Christian myself, uh, praying uh, for our country, praying yes. for my neighbors over the past year, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, we've had a lot of trying times, uh, as if uh, 2020 wasn't challenging enough with the pandemic. Uh, certainly, uh, the protests that we saw break out in, in many of our cities, including Minneapolis, uh, you know, that put a put a lot of uh, people at odds. And uh, and I think that uh, we're starting to emerge and, and return to a sense of normalcy. And along with that, uh, you know, comes opportunities, hopefully, to to bridge some of those divides that we may have. Yeah, and Jesus was not afraid to attack deception or oppression, yet his heart was so gentle. Uh, amazing. So thank you for starting that way with me. There's a lot in the news that I would like to cover, um, and one of the things that's popped up right away is um, what's going on in, in Israel and all of the anti-Semitism that's going on in the U.S. That's right, Bill. I, uh, In fact, on tomorrow's Daily Signal podcast, I'll have an interview with uh, Tuvia Tenenbaum, who traveled across uh, Europe and is currently here in the United States uh, to write about uh, anti-Semitism and the rise that we've seen. And of course, uh, it's been something that we've we've seen happen um, over the course of the past few years, but it has really accelerated in the past couple of weeks as uh, tensions really flared there between Israel and Hamas. Um, And uh, and, and, uh, the latest calculations, I think, from the Anti-Defamation League put uh, 26 incidents uh, across the United States in just the last couple of weeks, uh, they uh, are, are, are serious things like a violent attacks on individuals to, uh, uh, you know, to vandalism and other sorts of, uh, of, of crimes. And I think it's particularly troubling because we, we certainly have, uh, have come a long way uh, to counter uh, this uh, uh, hatred toward the Jewish people. And I think that uh, as as the guest on the uh, podcast tomorrow, Tuvia was was describing, part of uh, part of this rise is certainly attributable to some of the movements in the United States that are 
are you know very pro-Palestinian, and it's it's not that um, they're just pro-Palestinian, but they're also very anti-Israel, or in some cases very much anti-Jew in their in their language and some of the actions they take. And so it is concerning. It's uh, troubling, and I think that we're looking to our our leaders right now, uh, religious leaders, political leaders, uh, to help us guide got us on a better path, because uh, this is not a situation that I think anybody wants to endure. Mm-hmm. Rob, is President Biden standing strong with Israel right now? President Biden says he is standing strong, but I don't know that the Democratic Party is necessarily uh, marching in lockstep with him. Uh, what we saw happen over the course of the last week was a big shift um, from, from many Democrats who have traditionally been strong allies of Israel uh, starting to take a, a tougher stand and uh, and demand that Israel, uh, you know, not have the full-fledged support of the United States. Now, the president himself has said that uh, Israel's security remains a priority, uh, but obviously the the Biden administration's approach to the conflict was different uh, from from say what President Barack Obama or Donald Trump or previous two presidents have done when it came to, uh, to to working with Israel. And so I think it's something to closely watch. Uh, maybe this is, uh, you know, don't want to make too many assumptions about what the future will hold uh, based on uh, this most recent action, but, but certainly a situation where I think uh, there are some forces within the Democratic Party led by people like Bernie Sanders, who when he was running for president, uh, you know, made this a, a big issue. And, and really, particularly in 2016, started to challenge Hillary Clinton and some of the more established figures of the Democratic Party to change their position uh, when it came to Israel and uh, the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. Rob, Governor DeSantis looks like he's fighting big tech in Florida. It's kind of encouraging. He is. Well, (laughs) Bill, you know how slowly things uh, move (laughs) in Washington. Mm -hmm. And there has been a lot of chatter among both Republicans and Democrats. This was one of the areas where at the start of the year I thought we might have some common ground because there was so much uh, <laughs> animosity toward big tech, but of course, uh, not as not a lot is happening in Washington, and so it's uh, led to some states, including Florida and Governor DeSantis, there to take action against big tech, and uh, it's certainly something to watch because I think if um, if these governors decide that they are not going to put up with censorship and other things that they are are frustrated about with um, with you know this this whole issue they're uh, you know going to, to do things on their own and yeah maybe they can't uh, have an impact on federal law like the communications decency act and section 230 but there are other steps that, that they can take uh, to hold these companies uh, accountable and and I think that one of the big issues that you're seeing it's not just uh, in the legislatures but some state attorneys generals are also pursuing antitrust uh, cases against uh, the big tech firms and so there is a lot of frustration out there right now particularly among I think conservatives and Christians who feel that their speech is being censored and the big tech companies are um, are, are taking aim at them in an unfair way uh, biased uh, way if uh, if you believe uh, some of the accounts that I've read and and Bill, we certainly experienced it at the Daily Signal. We've had uh, our content blocked, uh, censored, and uh, challenges uh, certainly um, in terms of distribution almost on a daily basis. Um, and it's why we've, you know, in many cases shifted our, our focus to doing things like podcasts and making sure that we're delivering our, our content directly via email because the social media platforms just are not reliable anymore. Mm-hmm. Rob, I'd love for you to comment on the border crisis right now. I, I know that Vice President Harris protest has protested at the southern border in 2018 i think there was an agenda there for her at the time people did rush to the border when they were trying to uh, uh, 
make it look difficult and terrible for President Trump. But they're a little bit quieter now under the the Biden border crisis, aren't they? Well, certainly, um, and, and particularly uh, the vice president, uh, who has been put in charge of trying to solve this, this crisis, uh, has come under criticism for not being more active in terms of visiting uh, and supporting the Border Patrol, which uh, has an incredibly difficult job to do right now. And so, yeah, you don't see them rushing to the border for those uh, those political photo ops that you once did. Um, I don't think that, as, as you indicated, it's, uh, it suits their agenda to do so right now, whereas in the past it it may have been an opportunity to, um, to draw a contrast with the, with the Trump administration. I think what we know are a few things, um, and, and, I, and, and I've, I have the, the, the benefit of, of working alongside uh, the former uh, acting secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. Um, the Daily Signal broke a story last week where uh, Secretary Wolf, when he was doing his briefings for the incoming Biden administration, provided us with his notes that he kept from that, that briefing with uh, current Secretary Mayorkas, who at the time uh, was going through the, um, the no- he was nominated. He hadn't gone through the Senate confirmation process yet. And what, what Wolf told him is that you are going to have a crisis on your hands if you undo the policies that we put in place. Uh, we have worked on this issue for four years. We have done the best that we can to try to dissuade people from coming uh, north. And, and flooding the, the U.S.-Mexico border. And uh, what we saw happen was that the Biden administration came in and from day one and very proudly got rid of all of the things that President Trump had put into place. And that exacerbated the crisis. I think it already started to begin because obviously there were signals sent by the Biden administration that they would be more welcoming. And, uh, and, and Bill, I think that uh, we now have a situation on our hands where uh, it's just a tragedy. We have um, human traffickers who are are taking advantage of, of young children. We featured an interview with Congresswoman uh, Kamek uh, on the podcast last week in which she talked about uh, just a horrifying experience that she had with a, a nine-year-old girl who was gang raped and, uh, and her encounter uh, with this, uh, this young girl um, who was just, you know, obviously had her life um, changed in such a traumatic way and a negative way. And I think those are the stories that you don't necessarily hear about from the media and why the Daily Signal exists to tell, tell those stories, because we want to make sure that people understand the ramifications and the real-life consequences of these policies. This is just an observation, Rob. This is not a political comment I'm making. But if you're put in charge of something, I would think the first necessary step you'd want to take is to go see what's happening wherever you're put in charge of. Well, and, and certainly politicians in the past have been criticized for, for not doing that. Um, but I almost feel like and th- this, is a, a critici- this is my criticism of the media. I feel that, Bill, uh, we are so uh, – we, we live in a cycle where they're so eager to move on to the next story um, and what's the next big thing that we forget about you know, what's going on in our own country sometimes. And, and the situation hasn't changed. Uh, the April numbers uh, came out and they were, they were again, um, you know, record setting. We'll see what the May numbers reveal. But you're absolutely right. I think that if, if for somebody who's in charge of the situation, uh, you need to be demonstrating to the American people that uh, you're actually taking charge. And, and it's, it is front and center because, frankly, there are people who are hurting uh, particularly those people who live in the border region. But it's not just them, Bill. Uh, it's happening. Uh, it, it's affecting people across the country. And we're seeing that because they're not just staying in California or Arizona, New Mexico or Texas. Uh, they're traveling to communities all over the place. And what's really been um, been hitting these communities hard is the, the increased use of, of drugs and the drug trafficking as well. 
uh, opioid use is up again. And that is uh, definitely attributable to the fact that, uh, you know, it's hap- you have these border crossings and they're bringing the drugs across the border and, and they're making a lot of money for doing it. So, um, so that affects the communities in West Virginia and Pennsylvania and Ohio and places like that, that uh, and, and, and I'm sure Minnesota as well, that, um, that have unfortunately been experiencing these drug overdoses and uh, the impact that it's having on so many families uh, in America. Mm-hmm. Rob, let me take a break. When I come back, I want to ask you about COVID update and find out what's happening with schools reopening and everything else. Rob Louie is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Be right back. Tuesday started with Rob Bluey, executive editor at The Daily Signal. We're back with Rob. Rob, let's give a, an update on COVID-19. What about schools? What about science and masks and everything else? Well, uh, <laughs> the big news today is uh, Moderna has, has come out and said that uh, its vaccine is available for, for kids as young as 12. So, uh, you know, I think that that's, um, that's another sign that, uh, that schools will be more confident because those who want the vaccine, uh, particularly if you're are in middle school and high school, you'll now be able to get it. Um, we'll, we'll see if uh, the, the vaccine manufacturers will, you know, do enough trials to lower the age to, to elementary school students. But, Bill, uh, what it means so far is that uh, a lot of schools are declaring five days a week in the fall, New York City being one of the biggest uh, to announce in recent days. And I think that that's a really good sign. Uh, so many students have, have struggled to adapt to a virtual environment. I know my own kids um, are, are, are some of those that uh, – that have figured it out, but I think would much prefer to, to be in a, in a classroom setting. And I think that that probably benefits both the teachers and the students in, in that learning environment. So um, it's, it's ho- we're, we're hopeful that things are, are getting back to normal. I can tell you that um, I'm, I'm talking to, de- to you today from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., looking across the street at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, the Heritage Foundation, where the Daily Signal is, is based, is is reopened. Uh, the D.C. mayor has lifted the COVID restrictions. People are are going without masks now on the streets. Of course, it's personal choice. You still see some who who are wearing them. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, overall, it's um, it's really encouraging and optimistic to see to see the changes. And I realize that. Uh, you know, depending on where you are, uh, you might have a different situation in your locality. Uh, I know that you know, watching uh, the NHL games, the, the Florida right. arenas are packed. <laughs> My poor Penguins, uh, you know, who lost last night in o- double overtime, you know, they only were allowed 50% capacity. But I think hopefully sooner or later, Bill, we'll be getting back to a situation where where things um, were the way they were pre-pandemic. And, uh, and I think that's a good thing. When you got back to work, Rob, did you uh, discover something you left in the refrigerator from 14 months ago? <laughs> well, I've been sneaking in here and there, Bill, so I, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't have any surprises in that regard. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely encouraging to to be in, a, in an office setting with your colleagues and 
and to uh, to have that that interaction and meetings and other things that, that you do the collaboration is just so much better and so I'm, uh, I'm I'm personally excited and I know that many employers it'll be interesting to see like for instance the federal government uh, the telework rules that they put in place during that pandemic apparently are going to stay in place um, even after things are done so you know you may find a situation where uh, you know, some people just are, are going to continue to work from home and make it work. I think for other, other you know, businesses that, that depend on it, the, the cafe down the street or the deli, you know, they, they count on that lunchtime traffic in the neighborhood. So they're certainly starting to reopen and, and welcome a return uh, to normal as well. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a different world than it was a year ago, that is for sure. Rob, how civil are you finding Americans with one another regarding mask wearing and all of that? Well, hopefully things are improving, Bill. I mean, I still hear anecdotally stories of individuals who um, who, who don't like the fact that uh, people take off their mask. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I was in the, I will confess, I was in the grocery store the other day, which in, you know, obviously a lot of the grocery stores have now lifted the, the mandate for those who've been vaccinated. And I got some looks uh, in myself, so, but nobody said anything. And I, I think that's one of those things that, um, you know, if you're in a situation where you want to wear the mask, I mean, I wouldn't judge you if, if you wanted to keep it on. And I think that for those who decide to take it off because they feel that, you know, they're no longer vulnerable, then, you know, you shouldn't judge them. So, but I, I do think that it's, it's probably a situation where, yeah, there's been a lot of, um, uh, incivility uh, expressed toward each other, and where we started the show talking about you know <laughs> loving your neighbor and right. and trying to find common ground on issues. I mean, this is this is certainly one uh, where where you ha- are going to have an opportunity um, to to perhaps um, maybe overcome some differences. Mm-hmm. Rob, where are we uh, with the initiative to teach critical race theory? Well, it is it continues to be a big issue, Bill, and uh, there's there's no doubt that. Um, School districts across the country, uh, government offices, even the military is uh, really putting an emphasis on the critical race theory. And I think that the reason that it's troubling for someone like me, uh, and I've told your listeners this before, who, who grew up with you know, the teachings of, of Martin Luther King, you know, it's, uh, it's a situation where we're not judging each other by the content of our character, but we're putting race and the color of our skin before everything else. Uh, we're teaching our young children, in some cases, that uh, that, that they have, uh, you know, a certain amount of privilege, and they're, you know, either better or worse off as a result of that. And I think that, again, I just have have big issues with this, and particularly with uh, when our tax dollars are being spent to promote some of these ideas, um, it's it's worrisome when parents are are being cut out of the decision making process. It's worrisome. So. Um, I think it's something that we should pay attention to. We've put a lot of resources together at the Daily Signal and the Heritage Foundation on this issue and um, and would encourage your listeners to check it out if they want to learn more. Mm-hmm. Rob, what else is on your top of mind or desk that I didn't ask you about today? Well, you know, Bill, it's uh, it's a, a, a Memorial Day is coming up next next Monday, so certainly uh, I think that this is a, a good opportunity for us to remember all of those who served and uh, given their life uh, for this country. Uh, you know, there are, are so many things that we've talked about in the course of just our conversation today that wouldn't have been possible were it not for those who came before us. And, 
and uh, unfortunately died in, in the line of battle and uh, serving their country. So that's one thing that's, uh, that's certainly on my mind uh, as we head into the Memorial Day weekend and, um, and just uh, praying for all those families out there. Mm-hmm. Do we also get some big Supreme Court decisions coming up in June? Isn't that usually how it works? It, it is, yes. Uh, that That is how it usually works. And um, it, it could, it, you know, it's always so unpredictable when they're going to happen. But, uh, but yes, usually um, mid to late June is when we'll find out. And uh, there, um, you know, the Supreme Court term was different, obviously, like everything else this year because of COVID. But um, certainly there were some, some big cases that uh, that we'll keep an eye on. And, uh, and the big case that we talked about last week, the, the abortion case, uh, I actually want to correct the record. I think last week I misspoke and I said, you know, we'd get a decision, but that one is not even going to be heard until the fall bill. So we're oh. probably waiting a full year before we get this determination of what, whether or not Roe v. Wade will be overturned and whether states, again, get the opportunity to uh, make their own laws on abortion. Okay, well, that's uh, that's interesting. I appreciate all of that, Rob. Um, I'm just so glad that uh, we have this chance to chat, and I know that you and your family uh, will probably get a chance to do some vacationing this summer. I'm looking forward to hearing reports of the Blueys having a great time traveling. Well, a big shout-out because both my parents and my in-laws are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. If you could believe it, believe it, wow. they were married a week, a week apart in 1971, of course, long long before I ever met my future <laughs> wife. Uh, but we're looking forward to having some big celebrations with them in August uh, for their anniversary. And uh, 50 years of marriage is just an incredible amount of time together. They're such great role models for for us and for, for our kids. And, uh, and you know, just a strong believer in a two-parent household and, and what that means uh, for kids. And so um, I'm just so grateful uh, that, they've, uh, that they've been able to, to stay married that, that long time. That's fantastic. And will and there, it sounds like there will be big parties on both both sides of the family. I certainly hope so. You know, uh, one one set of parents is in Virginia uh, here with us, and the other is in New York. And I know that <laughs> both states have two different sets of requirements. But yeah, we're going to try to get everybody together the uh, best we can uh, post COVID here and uh, and and have a party. So yeah. that is uh, that's for sure. And when we think of the fall, do you think uh, stadiums will be full when it comes to football? I do. I mean, okay. I, well, per- particularly particularly in states that that are, are are certainly already waiving the restrictions, and and I hope that my you know again Pittsburgh Steelers have have a, a fully packed uh, Heinz Field um, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, you know, it, it it's going to depend, I think, uh, in part on, on on governors and local officials to make those decisions. But uh, the way things are trending, it's looking optimistic. Fantastic, Rob. Thanks so much for being on the show today, and I'll look forward to chatting with you one week from today. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Rob Louie has been my guest. And, of course, he is uh, the executive editor at The Daily Signal. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Greg Borgon is in studio. We're going to talk about body, soul, and spirit. Of course, the Bible teaches that humans possess a physical body, a soul, and a spirit. We're going to learn all about this from God's Word. We'll take a short break and be right back.
So glad to have Dr. Greg Borgon with me. We're back in studio, and we are going to talk about body, soul, and spirit. Genesis 1 indicates that God created humankind distinct from all other creatures. We have a body, a soul, and a spirit. We're going to do a deep dive into this. I hope we get it all in today, but if not, we'll do it in two days. So, uh, Greg, nice to have you here. It's good to be here. Thank you so much. I love this topic. (laughs) <laughs> Let's dig in. Yeah, it's a little complex. But it's a little complex for sure, but I love it. Yeah, you know, it's helpful for us to understand the pathway to behavior, what really transpires from sensory input to the brain yeah, all the way to when we act out on, on what we've comprehended and understood. So maybe at a, a very top level, maybe the 30,000-foot level, let's just talk about what makes up that pathway. First of all, we have to understand when we talk about body, soul, and spirit, the spirit has to do with God breathing his spirit into us. Now, we're not spirits, but we have his spirit in us. In other words, every human being inherits from their creator, whether they acknowledge it or not, the image of God in them, which gives them a capacity to appreciate beauty and justice, even though sin has marred that and distorted it, and the cross uh, restores it to us gradually over time as we interact with obedience But the Spirit is all about God breathing His identity into us through His image. Okay, i got to stop already because I'm already lost. So (laughs) if we're created in God's image, we're image bearers, so that Spirit is in us? Or tell me what what you mean by that. Image bearer um, means that we have within us the capacity, as I said, to appreciate. We don't have all the attributes of God. We're not omnipresent. We're not powerful and so forth. But the fact of the matter is that we have the seeds of his character in us. Gotcha. Because we're not born again yet. No, and no, If you're we're not, not born again, you don't have no. the Holy Spirit in. Yeah. And, and before the fall, it, we weren't marred by sin. But after the fall, we were defaced. That, right. That image was defaced. And now it is, has the possibility when we see Jesus Christ and Savior and Lord to be restored again afresh. So we see the world and interact with the world as God sees the world and interacts with the world. So we're talking about that, uh, that the Spirit of God is the animator of all life. Mm-hmm. And in, for human beings, it's unique in that what we get and no one else does is called a soul. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the Spirit of God really infuses uh, input, uh, inputs with, uh, with uh, eternal um, ramifications. In other words, it says in Ecclesiastes 3, 10, and 11 that every human being uh, has eternity set in their minds or in their heart, yet not so they don't know what God's done from the beginning to the end. So we have this sense of the eternal, every human being that, asks, that compels us to ask questions like, why am I here? Am I making any progress, and what will I do have any lasting impact? That's, that's in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. So that sense of the eternal is embedded in us. That's the spirit that was breathed in us. It was a way for God to communicate with us. So that's what we were meaning by spirit as animator. Then we deal with the brain, which, you know, is and essentially is the receptor, this mass inside of our skull, which is about five and a half inches by six and a half inches by three and a half inches high, 
a normal dimension of a human brain, weighs about three pounds, it's about 125 uh, cubic inches. That mass right there is what we're talking about, that physical organ, the hardware we're born with, every human being is born with. And so this brain receives sensory input, either from what we see or what we hear or what we smell or what we touch. So we're getting all of this sensory input in. The brain also categorizes and, and integrates and orders that data in our, in our brain. And then it also recognizes and compares patterns. As you grow, uh, as you mature, uh, these patterns become more fixed, they become more comprehensive, they become more recognizable. Our brain stores memories. It, it's the center for perceiving and comprehension, actually for learning. And it's certainly, uh, it controls all bodily functions. But that's the hardware. That's the hardware we're born with is this brain. Then we have what's called the mind, which is the processor of all this input. So when we talk about the mind, Bill, we're talking about processing these inputs that have been categorized or ordered by the brain. Uh, we're assessing the data. When we process the inputs, we're talking about the interaction between our intellect, our will, our personality, temperament, our imagination, aptitudes, and talents. That's all what's brought to bear as a filter to process these inputs. We're getting these sensory inputs that have been, like I said, ordered by the brain. So it helps us to, in our mind, uh, it helps us to uh, not only assess the data, but interpret it and then to actually comprehend it. That's where reason and cognition and emotions come in. So that's all a part of what's called the mind. So now we're dealing with not only the animator, which is our heavenly creator, which is uh, his spirit, the brain, which is the receptor, and the mind now, which is the processor. Then you move to what the Bible calls the heart. And the heart is the evaluator. It includes something like what we've called the conscience. And the Romans chapter 2 talks about the fact that we have a conscience. Our conscience is our moral awareness. In other words, it judges inputs, it evaluates morality, it notes the importance of uh, pieces of information more than others as it relates to moral awareness and action. Um, and it senses right and wrong. The interesting thing about the conscience bill is it can be seared. It can be conditioned to be desensitized mm -hmm. towards what's right and wrong. That's what sin does to us. Mm -hmm. And so consequently, you could have a calloused brain where you have no feeling of remorse for whatever sin you've committed, or it's seared to the effect that you've lost sensitivity. What used to be black and white is now gray and or maybe doesn't even exist on the spectrum of right and wrong anymore. So the idea is, is that the conscience is malleable. It's shapeable. It can be informed and conditioned by the world, the flesh, the devil. It can also be informed by the Spirit of God, should we uh, invite him into our life. So we're all born with a conscience. And that conscience is uh, our first arbitrator of right and wrong, which over the course of time, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, can easily be reshaped so that we're, uh, we lack clarity about what's right or wrong or the activities we engage in. This may or may not be right, Greg. I'm just going to throw this out because I've had this thought before. But you think of the word conscience, and the con is with. Science would be facts. So it would be, I don't know if this is right, but your conscience would be with facts. 
what are your facts? If your facts are stealing from you is not wrong because I'm just going to take it because I want to Mm -hmm. and I steal from you, um, you would say, boy, your conscience is pretty seared if you can just steal from me and not care. Yeah. Well, you know, when you when you think about it, you know, when we talk about, again, the searing of conscience, conscious, uh, our, our conscience, the fact of the matter is that just as you've stated, uh, we can go ahead and inform our conscience to such a degree, either by inputs from the outside or even by our own sin in our life, to believe what was wrong is now right. And what is right is now wrong. But perceptions aren't reality. Perceptions, if they're not corrected by truth, then our expectations are adjusted against something that's not reality. And so we live out a life that's uncharacteristic of truth. And so that's what happens with a seared conscience. Mm -hmm. Our perceptions become our truth, and perceptions are not truth. It, you know, it says in Scripture that uh, in, in, in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, if you are my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Otherwise, we're under the bondage of our perceptions, mm. and, and it can take us to destinations that we hadn't planned in places we don't want to go uh, once we get there. So that's kind of what happens with with um, the conscience. Yeah, you know, Greg, when I, I've done a lot of prison ministry and one of the last times I was in uh, a penitentiary, a, a federal penitentiary, I was talking to some older inmates. And I said, what is it like with some of the younger guys? And they said, well, it's interesting because the younger guys, their their conscience is seared. They have huh. no idea of right and wrong. Yeah. He said, the older inmates, we knew right from wrong. We, we realized we were doing wrong. But he said, it's really scary because these younger kids are coming in and they have no clue. Well, you know, part of the reason I think, Bill, is I think the enemy's up in his game. I think oh, he I sees the end coming closer, and he's going to take as many down as he can to bring dishonor upon God. And so his efforts are increasing, and we see that all around us, even in this locale that we live in, as well as across the whole United States and the world for that matter. And so um, these the searing is getting stronger yeah, and agree. becoming more and more callous. So... The mind, again, um, pro- is, is, uh, is the processor, which we've talked about. And the conscience is, again, our moral awareness, seared or otherwise. And then we have the heart. Um, actually, the conscience is a part of the heart. Um, our heart is really our core, our essence, the Bible says. It's a repository of God's image. It's used interchangeably oftentimes in Scripture with the soul, it weighs the importance of the data we've received in and the initial assessment that our conscience has made of it. Um, and so we weigh that importance, and then it filters that data through our central beliefs, our core values, our worldview, and uh, certainly our energizing motives. So, uh, and, it, and when that process is complete, given certain sensory input, it will determine our action. Now, the interesting thing about all of this, not only can the conscience be seared, Bill, but the aspects of our heart, our central beliefs, <clears throat> our core values, our worldview, and our motives can represent a worldview that's not biblical. And so consequently, um, the behavior that it'll produce will be non-biblical behavior. Mm-hmm. 
it'll be dishonoring to the Lord. It may be something that's honored in the world, but it's dishonoring actually of the Lord. So what you allow to stand again in the privileged vantage point of authority over what you believe, what you value, how you perceive the world, and what motivates you will determine the quality of behavior it produces. The Also the interesting thing is when you tune your heart to the heart of God, where truth is real truth, where your values are the filter through which you process life decisions, where your perceptual ap- uh, attitudes about your observations represent a biblical worldview, where you're motivated by unconditional love, it will resensitize your conscience. Mm. So the That's fact that your conscience may be seared or even calloused, it's like anything else. You can remove a callous. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, the searing of your skin can be healed. There may be some scar tissue, but it can be resensitized. So the Spirit of God working in the heart of man and woman uh, in terms of central beliefs, core value, worldview, and, and, and motives can reanimate your conscience to once again be a fair barometer of what's right and what's wrong because it's being informed, conditioned, and established by the Word of God, the finished work of Christ on the cross, and the fresh empowerment of His Holy Spirit that gives us the capacity to once again uh, live out of that image that God stored in us. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful Powerful dynamic, don't mm-hmm. you think? It, it is. And our conscience can be seared through making little mini compromises with our faith, can it? Absolutely. We think it's always little... the big decisions. No, it's the mini ones. It's the small ones yeah. because there's a gradual degradation, yes. a disintegration of our sensitivity over time. Ephesians chapter 4 uh, talks about that, the various steps of degradation that happen even to a believer if you allow yourself to be conditioned and informed by the world around you or the sin uh, that so easily besets you in your own soul and your desires or even um, by the influence of the world itself. And so if we aren't constantly uh, reinvigorating, recalibrating our heart to the heart of God, then we'll see the result as evidenced in the searing once again and the callous that's being formed around our heart, or which the Bible often uses interchangeably with the soul. Isn't that the renewing of our mind, yeah. Out of Romans? Yeah. If you, well, actually, it's in Ephesians four twenty-two through 24, where it talks about putting off the old nature, the renewing of your mind. It also talks about it in Romans as well. Mm-hmm. And then um, putting on the new nature. The putting off and the putting on are one-time events. The renewing is a continual process right. that's expedited by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit and our engagement in obedience as an act of love to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Take a little break. When we come back, lots more with Dr. Greg Borgon. You can go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about the heart. We find that over 800 times in the Bible. It talks about the heart, referred to as the inner being of a person, the core and essence of who we are. We'll be right back.
our favorite warrior music, isn't it, Greg? That's mine. I'll yeah. tell you that. That's the soundtrack from Gladiator. That's the walk-up music for Dr. Greg Borgon. You can always go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg, his writing, his books, his ministry. All right, let's talk about the heart. We find the the heart's used over 800 times in the Bible, and it's really defined as the inner being of a person, the core and essence of who we are. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, where it fits in this overall uh, structure is, again, when we talk about the spirit, we're talking about what God breathed in us. We're talking about his image. When we talk about the body, we mean the brain, the circulatory system, certainly organs and the skeleton. When we talk about the soul, we're talking about the mind and heart. Now we'll focus okay. primarily on the heart. So that's where it fits in the body, soul, and spirit uh, scheme that I've just laid out for you. And as you mentioned, it's recorded over 800 times. It was the reason that um, compelled me to go ahead and research every one of those passages. Wow. And it resulted in the book, The Rattling of Sabers, Preparing Your Heart for Life's Battles. It's, it's been the basis of my ministry for Heart of a Warrior for 25 years because I knew if I could get to the heart of a man or even the heart of a woman, that I'd get to the heart of the family because that is the essence of who we really are. That is our soul. That's what God redeems when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. He redeems the heart, again, often used interchangeably with the soul. So in essence, then, as, as defined earlier, it refers to the inner being of a person, the core and essence of who we are, the unvarnished receptacle of our being, the irreducible minimum. It is where the impetus for our actions arises. It's the repository of what we trust in, rely on, and cling to. And it's the filter through which we process all life decisions. It's the lens through which we make judgments regarding our observations of the world around us. It's what proves us or moves us to action. And it's worth guarding. It must be guarded. It's what makes us tick because Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else. Isn't that interesting? Makes that phrase and says, above all else, guard your heart. Hmm. Be vigilant. Never turn your back on the enemy. Stand your watch on the wall for the sake of not only yourself, but anybody that comes within your sphere of influence. Above all else, guard your heart. And why is that? It says in the rest of the passage, for from it comes the wellspring of your life. As a matter of fact, what I'd like to do, Bill, is share different versions of that same verse. And it really brings out the power of that verse. It was that one verse that compelled me to even research the heart. I don't know if it's happened to you, audience, that when you're reading Scripture, sometimes it comes out like a neon light. You may have read it a hundred times before, but all of a sudden it comes alive to you. That's what happened to me back in 1992 when I was executive pastor of a church in San Diego. That passage is what drove me to do all of this research. Hmm. So let's take a look at various versions all right, so when we look at the uh, North, uh, New American uh, Standard, it says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. In the ASV, it's, it reads, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And then the AMP, the Amplified Version, Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance, and above all that you guard, for out of it flow the springs of life. And then again in the uh, TLB, um, and it says, Above all else, uh, guard your affections, for they influence everything else in your life. And then in, in the message even, it says, Keep vigilant, watch over your heart. That's where life starts. 
And then in the NET, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it are the sources of life. And then in the NI Revised Version, the New International Revised Version, above all else, guard your heart. It is where your life comes from. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life, the NLT. And then the, um, the New International Version, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So you can see that whatever is stored in your heart is going to manifest itself an overt behavior over time that'll either bring glory and honor to God or dishonor and shame. That's why it needs to be guarded. Whatever comes into your sensory input in your brain is processed by your mind, is brought through the filter of your conscience, makes its way into the heart. If the conscience is seared, if your mind is distorted by ideologies and philosophies mm-hmm. of the world, um, if, and, and even if your brain has been impacted by drugs or alcohol, it's going to impact the heart and ultimately your behavior because your behavior always reflects the health of your heart. So that's why it's to be guarded. That's why it matters what you believe, why it matters what you value, why it matters how you perceive the world around you, and why it matters what motivates you to action. Mm. It's that powerful. Yeah. So how do we walk out guarding our heart? How do we apply that in everyday life? Guarding our heart, first of all, begins with a conscience decision of who's going to stand or sit in the throne over our heart. Okay. Is it going to be the world? Is it going to be our flesh, our own sinful desires? Or is it going to be the enemy? Or are we going to make a decision once and for all? It'll be God and the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and the power of the transformation of his word. Mm -hmm. When you put the word of God on your throne, it clears up misperceptions. All of a sudden, you're dealing with truth and not with the perceptions of truth. And then in acts of obedience, which is the way we express our love to God, Mm -hmm. it's nice that we can say to the Lord, I love you, Lord, But what he really wants to hear, like any parent, is, well, if you really love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. It's obedience. So when we're obedient to the Word, the Word transforms us. It says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division, interestingly enough, of the soul and spirit, and the discerner of the thoughts and intentions of your heart. And it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that a man or woman of God is equipped for every good work. So when you make a decision, that's the first thing that needs to be done, that Jesus in the Word is going to stand in authority over what you believe and what you value, what you perceive in terms of your perceptual attitudes and what motivates you. Your behavior will change. It isn't going to happen overnight. Certainly God can do that, but it requires your interaction with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to see that transformational change. That's why the passage you quoted, Bill, about renewing your mind, mm-hmm. either in Romans chapter 12 or even in Ephesians chapter 4, the renewing of your mind is washing the world away from your heart. That's why oftentimes the Word of God is called the water of the Word. It's the surgical instrument God uses to remove the decay and the corruption, the cancer in your life, where He resensitizes your conscience again. 
and cuts that callus away and resensitizes the searing of your soul. Mm-hmm. And so the Word of God is important to, to do that, but you must be obedient to it. You must act on it in the same direction over an extended period of time, and it ultimately will start to transform you, not just how you think, not just what you believe and what you value, but how you actually behave. If you focus primarily on your behavior, you get on this roller coaster called sanctified behavior modification. Right. <laughs> and so you'll be doing all of these activities. Well, I'm going to read the Bible through in one year. It's a, it's a worthwhile effort, but it shouldn't be the objective. I'm going to read the Bible in one year to restore my relationship with my Heavenly Father, to get a sense of the heartbeat of God, to tune my heart to His heart. That's the right reason for reading the Word of God. And so the whole idea is, is that we don't want to get on sanctified behavior modification and focus on behavior. The enemy wants us on that wrong battlefield. I talk about that in my book, that we're oftentimes fighting battle on the wrong battlefield. Yeah, amen. That the true battlefield has always been the heart. Uh, Tim just said, listener, if you believe wrong, you live wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great, Tim. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, Tim knows what he's saying. So, it, it, and again, Tim, was what he's underscoring, it matters what you believe. Amen. Doctrine matters for crying yeah, out loud. Yeah, big way. <laughs> All right, Greg, once again, fast half hour. Thank you wow. so much. Yeah, we're already done. You believe it? <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah, Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. You can go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, it is the Q&A hour with Jeff Verdorn. If you've been following us throughout our study of the end times and revelation, now is the time to ask your questions. Start sending them my way, 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.